Well, good morning. How's everyone doing? Fantastic. Three of you are doing good. Thank you. That's great. Like Justin said, my name is Adam, and I am thrilled to be here at Fieldstone. Um, we have known each other for quite a long time. I haven't tallied up the years. Uh, but one of the things I love most about Justin, and I've been listening to his messages, and he's a fantastic communicator. He's a good pastor. Um, but his just confident humility in his leadership and pastoring is just so evident. And so I'm glad to be your friend, privileged to be here. I also know he's not very emotional and touchy-feely, so that was really uncomfortable for him. And so as often as I can do that, I try to. But um, I'm really, really excited to be here. Uh, I uh, married for seven years to wonderful Megan Mashney, and she and I have two kids, uh, Caleb, who is three, and yeah, there's a picture of our family at the zoo. Eliana is five months. We just had her in um, June. She just had her in June. I stood along and just said, you can do it, um, and held her hand. But we love our family. Caleb is a rambunctious three-year-old who has more energy than we know, to, uh, uh, we know what to do with a lot of the times. Um, but uh, I'm trying to raise them in a way that pleases the Lord and honors the Lord. Um, so we buy them a lot of Michigan gear. And um, we, yes, thank you. Uh, and uh, a couple weeks ago, Michigan uh, played Michigan State and unfortunately did not go the way I had hoped. But it, it's interesting. Okay, I see that. Yeah, whatever. Um, I, <laughs> I see you. When you talk about football, I love football. I love sports. I like to run. When you talk about all things sports, one thing is very clear. Position and placement really matter. For example, the Michigan-Michigan State game, uh, there's, you know, some, you know, some questionable calls there. But, you know, forget all of those calls at the last play of the game that Michigan had. They had the ball. They were driving down the field. They had the opportunity to get ahead. And Cade McNamara throws a beautiful pass. Beautiful pass. I forget who the receiver was. Maybe Haskins. Maybe uh, someone else. But uh, it just was misplaced. It was underthrown. And placement really matters. Michigan State intercepted the ball because Kate underthrew it, and that ended the game, basically. With a minute left, Michigan couldn't get the ball back and win the game. It was a, maybe I'm replaying something that's traumatic for you. I'm sorry if I'm doing that. But the, the truth remains, position matters. Placement really matters. Your, uh, your role on the football field really matters. You, um, whether you're a linebacker or what, what, I don't know all the terms, but... Whatever it is, it really matters, and you have to know your role. You have to know who you are in that role and where you're going to go, who you're going to block if the play is going to be effective, if you're going to be effective. Position really matters. Um, even in running, cross-country, track, I got a, uh, an acquaintance of mine who uh, runs professionally, and he runs the mile, um, and he uh, runs in the Olympics, and it's super fun to watch him, but his strategy is very much different than like some other people. Some other people will just run right out of the gate, trying to be the fastest guy on the track, and just you know try and hold that. His strategy is kind of to kind of eke in the back, kind of go in the back, and then when the time is right, kick out from the pack and just jet. And he's done that multiple times. He's gotten second and third, you know, probably first in a lot of races. Um, but a lot of commentators and a lot of people watching be like, well, that's so dumb. Like, why, why would you take that? But in his mind, his position in that field matters so much to save his energy for a little bit. And then all of a sudden have the energy to kick out 
and hopefully win the race. See, position and placement really, really matter. Today, we're talking about our position in Christ. Um, and our position in Christ, what it means for our identity. What it means for our identity. I want to show you one picture to further illustrate this idea that position really matters. Maybe uh, you've heard of Wrigley Field and you've heard of the Cubs. Uh, we moved to Chicago in 2016 and we were there for roughly four years. And the more I got to know the Cubs, I was like, wow, Wrigley Field sounds like such a cool place to be. And then I saw this picture of a seat that you could literally buy a ticket for and look at a pole the entire game. Your position really matters. By the way, the year we moved to Chicago is the year the Cubs won the World Series. I'm not saying we caused it, but I'm saying we had a really, really uh, good deal to have on Chicago. Um, but like I said, today we're talking about who we are in Jesus, what it means to be in Christ. If you're a follower of Jesus in the room, that scripture has a lot to say about who you are. I love the songs that we sang, all about our identity, who we are in Christ. And we're going to open the book of Ephesians. I know Justin was in there last week, Ephesians 5, talking about parenting. By the way, if you have missed any of the parenting talks, you just need to go and re-watch those or re-listen to those. They are fantastic. Justin did a phenomenal, phenomenal job. Um, I, I, I listened to last week's, and I'm sure the other two, are, was it a three-weeker? Yeah, I'm sure the other two were amazing, but last week's was so good. So just go back and listen to it. But Ephesians 5 is where he was. We're going to be in Ephesians 1. So if you have your Bibles, you can open them up to Ephesians chapter 1. Uh, we're going to be there in just a little bit, but the scriptures have a lot to say. And Ephesians is full of identity-shaping moments. Last week, Justin talked about our identity as parents who follow Jesus. Today, I, I want to look at Paul's intro Paul's intro where he kind of sets the stage for who we are in Christ, that we find our identity in Jesus. Now, the Ephesians, the people of Ephesus, they found themselves in a culture a lot like ours. I'm going to read a list of kind of what was common at the time, and you could see whether it was comparable to us. Uh, the Ephesus culture, fast-paced. Uh, high trade. Ephesus was right by the sea, so there was a lot of trade by water. They, it, it was also a city connected to a lot of highways, so a, a lot of trade by land. Uh, basically, people bought stuff and sold stuff a lot. Um, it was the center of pagan worship to the pagan god Artemis. There was a huge temple in Ephesus built to Artemis. At, the Ephesians had lots of things and places that they could put their identity. I don't know if that resonates with you at all. Do we have a lot of things and places that we can put our identity other than Jesus? Sure. It, it's out there. Our, our culture gives us a ton of options. From uh, everything from the people that we find approval from, uh, whether it's an individual person you're trying to get approval from, or a group of people, um, or the stuff you own, the stuff I own, my possessions, we can place our identity in that if I don't have this. Or your work, if you're not able to do this. Sometimes uh, people think pastors are exempt from that, but we're not. If, you know, if we're not able to do certain things as our job, then like, who are we? Uh, we can fall into that identity trap. Maybe that's yours. Work is yours. Maybe you've been unemployed and you're like, who am I if I don't have this? 
Or maybe you, you, you love your job so much that the fear of losing it causes some identity crisis, like who am I if I don't have this? What you can achieve, you can find your identity in that. Um, the business you've grown, you can find your identity in that. The family you have, you can find your identity wrapped in that. All good things. None of the things I just said are, are inherently bad. But a lot of the things can be what we find our identity in. The stuff that we own, the people that we find approval from, our future, what we hope to happen, we could place all of our identity in that. Again, not bad things, but they're not designed to hold the weight of our identity and who we find ourselves as. And the people of Ephesus were just as tempted to place their identity, their sense of self, their sense of who they are in other things, in the fast-paced culture, in the pagan god Artemis, and all the things that other people found really important, impressing, pridefulness, arrogance, telling other people you have way more than you actually do, putting on a front. Ephesus didn't have social media, but if they did, I would imagine it would look very similar to what we have today. People putting their best foot forward and kind of leaving all the crappy stuff back there and be like, no, 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 we're not going to show people that. Ephesus is not very different than our culture today. And so Paul is writing to this church. And this letter probably was going to be read by other churches as well, but the Ephesians got it first. And so someone stood up and read this to the Ephesian church. And Paul wanted to make sure that he kind of dug into the ground this whole idea of who you are, who you are. So let's read Ephesians 1. 3 through, four, 3 through 14. It's going to be a lot of scripture, so hang in there. You could read along. If you have your Bibles, it, if you don't, it's okay. It'll be up on the screens. But it says this, Ephesians 1, 3 through 14. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one he loves. Verse seven, in him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he, that he lavished on us. With all wisdom and understanding, he made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his good measure, which is purposed in Christ, to be put into effect when the times reach their fulfillment, to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. Verse 11, in him. You see these, these phrases that Paul is using, through Christ, in Christ, in him, under Christ. It, Paul's trying to make a point. Let's, let's read on. In him, we were chosen having been predestined according to the plan of him who works everything out in conformity with the purpose of his will, in order that we, who were the first to put our hope in Christ, might be for the praise of his glory. And you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. Now, there's a lot there. I mean, it, we don't have time to unpack everything that's in there, but the major themes, you, you saw that. 
I underlined it for you, but you saw it. It was there in Christ, through Christ, under Christ, in Christ. Uh, multiple variations of in Christ, each have their meaning. We put our hope in Christ, but then there's this idea of being positioned under Christ or positioned in Christ. And so there's this whole idea of your placement, your position really matters for your identity. Your position really matters in life. And I don't know if you've ever thought about it that way, but where you place yourself, where you place your identity, you, where you position your identity will set you up to either walk in this life with everything that Jesus has to offer or where you place yourself and your identity will set you up to walk in this life without everything Jesus has to offer. And it's all based on where you've positioned yourself. Now, if you're a follower of Jesus, Paul says, look, you are positioned in Christ. Now act like it. You are positioned in Christ. That is your true nature. Like Brian said, we are new creations. The old is gone. The new has come. We are new. We are in Christ. But what does that mean? To be in Christ. To be positioned under Christ. To be placed in Christ. What does that practically mean? I just want to give you three ideas. There's many more, but these three hopefully you could latch onto and take on with you in the coming week into Thanksgiving holiday and the holiday season and really, really change some things about how you live, how you think, maybe even how you treat other people. So let's dive in. The first one, what does it mean to be in Christ, to be positioned under our Savior? It means in the power of Christ in the power of. When we are in Christ, we're in the power of Christ, meaning the position that we're in comes with power. It comes with incredible amounts of power. I was, uh, a number of years ago, I think seven years ago, I was invited to pray uh, for the opening of the Senate session in Lansing. I was invited by Senator Colbeck, who at the time went to the church I worked for, and he was just, you know, going through the rounds of all the pastors. I think we have a picture. You could show that. Um, it's like, yeah, so that, there, there, uh, there's me and Senator Colbeck, and um, he's a good guy. My wife and I were in his office, and he was just showing me all the books he read. I was like, I will never, never, ever be as smart as you are in this very moment. Yep, that's the truth. All right, so he's just a brilliant guy. Um, but then I, you know, he took us to the, the Senate floor. And regardless of your per, uh, political persuasion, when you enter that room, you just see, like, you just feel the power. You just feel the amount of decision-making power in that room. I mean, it was pretty elaborate, if I'm honest. Like, every chair had, like, the person's name on it. It was leather. And, like, you know, they just felt really important. And I was like, oh, I want to sit in that one. He's like, don't do that. I was like, okay, um, I'll just pray then and go on my merry way. And so I wrote out the prayer because who wants to mess up the opening prayer in the Senate? No one. So I wrote it out and I was there and I just read it. But I, can't, I couldn't help but think about the power that was in the room. And as I was processing that prayer, as I was processing my thoughts, I can't even tell you when it was I realized what I just realized. But I realized, however long after that, I'm like, wow. I was so impressed with the power in the room. And yet, as Christians, as followers of Jesus, we are connected to infinite amount of power. Like the amount of power that comes with being in Christ 
is so much greater than the amount of power that's in a building or a room with leather seats with people's names on it. And not to, I mean, that's not bad. That's not bad. I'm just saying. I was impressed by such little power compared to the power that you and I have. But what does this power have for us? Practically speaking, this power that you have if you're a follower of Jesus because you're positioned in Christ, you have the power to resist temptation when it comes. And I don't know what your temptation is. I don't know if it's lust for you. I don't know if it's anger. I don't know if it's comparison to other people. Like you're just scrolling so, social media and you're like, gosh, I wish I had that. Man, I wish I looked like that. I, I don't know what your temptation to fall into is, but when you're in Christ, you are now positioned to resist that, whatever that is. When you're in Christ, you're positioned to break the power of lies that can go in our brains. You're positioned to not believe the lies of the enemy. Uh, the scripture talks about our enemy, the devil or Satan, whoever, however you want to call it, the deceiver. But there's a portion of scripture, I, I think it's in John, where he says when, when, the, when the enemy speaks, he speaks lies. Because lying is his native tongue. Jesus is full of truth. And our enemy, when he speaks his native tongue, his native language, it's, it's lies. But when you're in Christ, you no longer have to believe those lies. And I don't know what lies you're tempted to believe. I don't know the lies that you've been believing since you were six or, or, or 10, or maybe last year someone spoke to you a lie that you've been believing about who you are based on someone's opinion. And I don't know what's going on in your brain, how you're wrestling with that. But just know that when you're in Christ, you have the power to break through that. Now, a lot of that comes with community. And like Miriam mentioned, therapy. And a lot of really helpful people can help you in this. But just know, in Christ, there is power available. Uh, the last thing I'll mention, uh, Ephesians 2 talks about the power to break down barriers. Now, Paul writes in Ephesians 2 that, he, I mean, essentially Jews and Gentiles were, were separate races and separate people and separate people groups and politically different and socioeconomically different. They were just two very different people. And Paul says, because of Jesus, you are now one. And that was a radical concept. But the power that comes with Jesus allows you to look at someone who voted differently than you and say, through Jesus, we're one. And allow you to look at someone that looks differently than you and say, because of Jesus, we're one. That's the power of being in Christ. And now, it, if you don't tap into that, then like, you know, the divisions will still be there. The temptations will still be there and they'll win. All those things will still happen. But if you tap into the power that comes with Jesus, it'll change your life. Number two, not just in the power of but independence on. Independence, not independence, but in dependence on. Uh, like I talked about in the beginning, we uh, just had Eliana. Let's show that picture. She is a joy to have in our household. Uh, right? 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 She's just so happy. Smiley little baby. That clearly was not taken yesterday because that was in um, kind of like August, September when it was still warm. Uh, and so her smile has gotten bigger. She's able to do a lot more things. But even at five months, I, w I was reminded. We have a three-year-old, so it's been a minute since like, you know, he couldn't do something for himself. Um, 
I was reminded just how dependent this tiny human is on us, her parents, for literally everything. And like, you know, there's some bitterness in there, but it's fine. Lit- literally everything. Everything we, she needs, it's on us. Everything she wants, it's on us. That probably won't change at all. But uh, everything, like she is dependent solely on us. And I can't help but thinking when Jesus in the gospel says you must become like little children to enter the kingdom of God, if he's not just thinking about the dependence of children on their parents, just the dependent innocence of saying, I really can't do something on my own. I need dad. I need mom. And so Jesus is saying, like, you're really, you're really dependent on the father. You're really dependent on Jesus. And so Eliana is dependent on us. And this is not our fault, per se, but we have lived and we've grown up in a culture where it's celebrated and expected to be dependent on nobody, to be completely self-sufficient. But this flies in the face of what it looks like to be a disciple of Jesus. Not just in our position of Christ. Like we, we must be dependent on Christ if we're going to be a follower of Jesus. It comes with a territory. He is our king and we are a disciple of our king. Following in the footsteps of our disciple. A lot of, a, a pr- practically in the ancient world, what it meant to be a disciple of someone was literally to get the dust of the rabbi on your feet. Like you're, like you're following so close that the dust would kind of go up and you just get, you know, the dust of the rabbi was the saying back then. And so we're following our king so close that we're just dependent on everything he does. We base everything we do off of what he does. So it's our position in Christ to be dependent on him that flies in the face of our culture. But also our culture will say, you don't need anybody. It's not that you just don't need God. You don't need anybody. Like, you don't need people. You don't need community. And that also flies in the face of a disciple of Jesus. Because when Jesus launched a movement, he launched it with a group of friends, and he tasked them to bring other people along. Just at its base level, he said, hey, gain more people, because this is the truest way to live. This is how I've created you. And so spread the word and get more people to the movement. John 15, 5 is quite clear. This is Jesus talking. I'm the vine, and you're the branches. If you remain in me, and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can't do anything. You can do nothing. And you could interpret that as like, no, I could do a ton of stuff. Look at me. I'm not a follower of Christ, and I'm like, I, I got my business. I got all these things. I'm like making money. I could do a lot. What I think Jesus would tell you is that you can't do anything of value. You can't do anything of worth if you're not connected to me. You can't do anything that will last, that will really, really matter when all else fails. When your business fails, when the money goes away, if you're not doing something for me, you can't do anything that really, really matters. So being in Christ is the admission that we don't have this life figured out. And we need to sit under the king and sit under his decision-making and seek his wisdom and his face for everything that we have. Lastly, not only in the power of, in dependence on, but in the hands of Jesus, in the hands of Christ. 
When we are in Christ, we are submitting ourselves to the loving hands of Jesus. Uh, Caleb, our three-year-old, he, uh, he learned the song, Jesus Loves Me, and it's so cute to hear him sing, Jesus Loves Me. But I kind of want to teach him the old song, like, he's got the whole world in his hands. You know that one? Yeah. It's just like this little, this tiny song that we, that we teach our kids, but if you think about it, theologically, um, it is so accurate. He's got the whole world in his hands. Now, you know, you've all seen maybe that painting where it's like literally the world and the like massive hands coming out like through, like it's kind of creepy actually, um, these hands coming around the world. You could, you could picture it that way, but I think, I think what it actually needs to be pictured on is like whatever you're going through, Jesus is holding you. Whatever you're walking through, Jesus is holding you. You're, you're in the hands of Christ. That's what it means to be in Christ. Not only do you have power, not only are you dependent on him, but you are literally being held by him. We can trust his plan when we're in his hands. I've got a friend who, um, I, I've got two friends actually, na- navigating relationships in their like late 20s, early 30s, and they're just trying to figure out this like, you know, is she the one? Is she for me? I'm not sure what to do. And each one of them, they're followers of Jesus. Each one of them are just, it's just so evident that the, the joy they have in trusting God's plan for their life. Now, cu- culture would tell them, dude, you know, you're getting old. You, you, you just need to make it happen. You just need to make it happen for yourself. Like, why are you waiting? Just like, ask her out, do the thing, like, wh- whatever. Marry her if you want, but like, definitely try it out before you marry. Like, cu- culture would tell this these two friends of mine, to do it way differently. And pre-Jesus, they would do it differently. But since following Jesus, they have totally transformed. And like I said earlier, it is a joy for them to just lay their plans in the hands of Jesus and say, Jesus, if you want this to happen, I'm going to have you allow it to happen. And it's not like they're inactive. They're not passive. They're doing stuff. But each step... They're trusting the Lord. They're seeking his decision-making over their own understanding. It's in the hands of Jesus. That's what it means to be in Christ. So I just want to pause before I close. We've talked about power, how we have power. We've talked about dependence, how we're so dependent on Jesus. We've talked about um, the last one, in hands. We're in the hands of the Father. Whatever you're walking through, he's holding you. Just curiosity, you could just answer in your own head, which one do you need today? Like, which one are you taking with you to say, yeah, that's the one, I need the power, or yep, that's the, I, I've been way too self-sufficient when it comes to my faith, I've been way too self-sufficient when it comes to community, I need to jump into a group, or maybe this last one, like, I've forgotten that Jesus is holding me. In your own head, maybe connect with God and say, God, this is the one, that this is the one I needed today. So let's pray. God, thank you for communicating to everyone here about what you're doing in their life. Thank you that you are, you are loving, you are patient, you are kind. And God, when we misstep and when we don't get this life right and when we don't resist temptation and we don't depend on you and when we forget that you're holding us, there's grace and we run back to you and you're there. And so, God, I, I, I pray for the weeks ahead. I pray that 
as we leave this building and, and um, seek to follow you and seek to learn more about you, I just pray that you'll um, tangibly be with us. You'll give us that power. And I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. You guys have a great, great week.